0: I often talk about my college years because my college years were very formative for me in faith. I had been a Christian uh, for about four years before college, I guess since I was a freshman in high school. But college is where I saw that I really took that faith to the next step. And I was involved in a campus ministry organization at uh, Penn State University, Um, it's going to remain nameless, and I owe a lot of my spiritual growth to that organization. However, one of the, the significant facets of this ministry was that they spent a lot of training for mission, for evangelism. Right? The ministry focused on what I call cold contact evangelism. Walking, I mean, think about like a salesperson that does cold calls, right? You just call someone up you've never talked to before and you try to you know, sell them a, a bill of goods. Cold contact evangelism involved walking up to strangers in order to share the gospel with them and attempt to lead them to Jesus. One of the spring breaks I spent with this parachurch ministry was in Florida. And uh, the, the, we were at Pan- Panama City Beach, Florida. And the objective for the trip for our crew was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many college spring breakers who were lounging at the beach, you know, drinking in the sun, uh, that we were able to. Now, what struck me about that experience is that there was no relationship there was no opportunity for follow-up. There was no plans for discipleship. These folks, if we were being honest about it, were merely spiritual notches on our belts. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for this sort of evangelism in ministry. I, I personally don't think it is the most effective or strategic way to share the gospel. But there have been countless individuals who have experienced salvation because a stranger expressed to them the deep love of Jesus. Now, while I have some qualms about it, the thing that i got to applaud folks who kind of do this, I have a friend on Facebook that I see all the time talking about sharing their faith in Oakland with strangers. What I appreciate about these folks is they are actually out there doing this. They are being faithful to God's call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, to the ends of the earth with others. I would suggest, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to suggest what I think might be a better way to consider evangelism, and I would suggest that if we were better at fulfilling our call to tell our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, the people whose lives we intersect with on a daily basis, if we were better at sharing with them the truth of the gospel, there would be far less of a need for this cookie-cutter approach of sharing faith. So I'm involved in this ministry that's very heavily invested in evangelism, And we we would actually spend time training for these opportunities, these experiences. We would like spiritually spar, right? A colleague, a friend uh, would pretend to be a heathen, if you will. And we'd strike up a conversation, worm our way to the gospel, and then get a call for commitment. I hated it. It felt so unnatural to me. it's, It's also not the way that I'm wired. But I participated in this because this is what all of my friends were doing. But I I thought to myself, like, there's got to be a better way. Is this what obedience to God is supposed to feel like? Drudgery, forcing myself. Now, for the past month and a half, we've been walking through a series called The Gospel-Centered Life. And we've been examining how the gospel ought to be taking, right, it ought to be the center of our lives, That that it be center stage in us. And for the first few weeks of that, this is where we started. We started with the goodness of God. We, we expressed God's love for us. I'll find a way to, to get this image every week. Right, the cross chart, that we see the grandeur of God's holiness. We see a growing awareness of our sinfulness. We take an accurate stock of our shortcomings. And we see that cross of Christ that closes the gap looming larger growing more prevalent in our lives, recognizing more and more just how much God loved us to close that gap. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing more, we've shifted a bit front to this, this word in the church called sanctification, the process by which God brings more and more of the characteristics of Jesus into our lives. But up until this point, our conversations have been focused almost entirely of inwardly the inward walking working of the gospel how the gospel makes a difference in our lives but the truth is that the power of the gospel is not meant to be a private reality it's not a commodity to be hoarded it's something quite naturally that we do unfortunately when we sense that supplies are limited you know, for instance, this year I've, I've heard, I don't know if you guys have heard this, a bunch of news reports have said that uh, Christmas shopping might be a little bit tumultuous this year. They're encouraging everyone, like, do your shopping now, because if you show up, like, December, you know, 20th to try to buy stuff for your kids, you're going to be, uh, or each other, maybe, I guess your loved ones too, um, you're going you're gonna to approach a store with a lot of empty shelves. Because right? there's, there's pandemic supply chain breakdowns right now. And so when the resources in front of us are limited, we have a tendency to try to hoard those things, right? Like the toilet paper famine of 2020, we saw that, full and clear. But the love of God is endless, it is infinite, right? We don't need to worry about withholding it from others to make sure that there's enough left over for us. This joy, this reality that we found for ourselves needs to, it ought to be shared with others. As God renews our hearts, that's what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. As God renews our hearts, we ought to be compelled to love others around us with that same love. In short, while the gospel is working its transforming objective within us, the gospel also ought to be propelling us outward. So this morning we're going to be talking about how the gospel lends itself to mission. Now, here's how the gospel-centered life defines mission. They say mission is anything that brings gospel-centered renewal and redemption to people, places, and cultures. Anything that brings gospel-centered renewal and redemption to people, places, and cultures. As God is at work on us and in us, He is also working through us to see His gospel-centered kingdom spread in the places where we dwell, where we find ourselves. So I've got one quick passage that's going to highlight our theme this morning. So if you have Bibles and you want to open up, you don't have to because it's pretty quick, uh, but it's Galatians 5 that we're going to be looking at. And hopefully we can see how this outworking of the gospel that we've been studying for the last six weeks kind of propels us into mission that God has placed before us. So we've seen, I I hope, that God, over the last few weeks, that God has given us a rich freedom, right? Freedom from the law. We don't have to obey anymore. Freedom from the need to justify ourselves before God. A freedom where we can bask in the grace and love of God. God doesn't love us because of what we do. Frankly, He loves us in spite of what we do, which should propel us to to live more holy, full lives. Now listen to how Paul says that we ought to use those freedoms. Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says this. <clears throat> for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another." So there's a lot going on in this passage. First Paul is reminding the Galatians that they were called to freedom. Grace now abounds in their lives. They've been freed from the yoke of the law, and they no longer need to yield to its weight. Now, this freedom that they experience can go a couple of different ways. And this is what we talked about three weeks ago. If the freedom of God breaks us out of legalism, because many of us operate under legalism, right? Like, I have to do this. If I don't do this, God's going to be frustrated with me, disappointed with me. God's love for me is somehow conditional upon how I perform or how I behave. That's legalism. And the gospel should break us out of that legalism, rightfully so, but it's easy to swing too far into the opposite direction and fall into licentiousness, license. Right? We might say, it doesn't matter how I live my life because God's going to forgive me in the end anyway. Put another way, I am not really concerned with what God wants with my life but i'm concerned about what i want with my life. So in light <clears throat> excuse me. In light of this freedom, Paul is reminding the Galatians that they have been freed not for their own benefit, but they have been unlocked to love and to serve others. And then Paul elaborates by stating that the entirety of the law, which is a very interesting th- thing for him to say, that the entirety of the law is summed up in our command to love in the command to love our neighbors as ourselves I, I would argue that that's only half of the command right because as jesus said right the two greatest commandments are not just love your neighbor as yourself but first and for, foremost that shema in deuteronomy 6 Hear, O israel love the lord your god with everything you got heart soul mind and strength perhaps you could argue that paul here is saying when you are loving your neighbor the way that you ought to be loving your neighbor, it is a reflection of your love of God. And so by loving your neighbor, you are inherently loving God as well. I don't know, but we're not, we're not here to completely hatch that passage. What I'm trying to connect for us here is that the gospel intersects not just with our individualistic lives, but also has a component of propelling us into service for others. Now, I got, a, I got an image. I have an image for us to consider this. I know it's a little hard to read, but I'd, I'd like to break it out for you. You have the gospel of God's grace here in the middle of the, this image. It is the foundation of the transforming work of God. That left circle that you see represents what is going on inwardly. How God is at work reforming our hearts The right circle showcases the outward focus of love for God and neighbor and others. Now, as you see these, as you look at these two circles, I hope you see that there's some symmetry between them, right? Those inward and outward cycles follow the same pattern. So let's take a look. So just to recap, this is basically what we've talked about over the last two weeks. Inwardly, we see our sin... Right? We reveal both those surface sin as well as the deeper heart idols. We acknowledge that there is a problem. Then secondly, we repent. We turn away from those sins and we exercise faith by believing a gospel. Remember last week I said the gospel, that the Christian life is less about doing and more about believing. How are we trusting the promises of God? Acknowledging that we are ultimately powerless to change ourselves. And we invite the Holy Spirit to begin that process, incremental, but that process nonetheless of transformation within us. And then, at the top of that, as we experience that change, we experience joy, we acknowledge God is working in, on, working in us. And so we respond in worship, you know, continue to the process by diving back into God's grace. So that's the, that inward cycle. Now, the outward cycle is really the same rhythm the first phase is one of visibility. As we saw in the Galatians passage, God has granted us freedoms for the purpose of loving and serving others. So from God's grace, we are unlocked to see opportunities that we have to love and minister to others. These opportunities are the heart of mission. They are spaces where the overflow of God's grace in us can bring renewal and redemption to people, places, and things that we interact with regularly. But for any of us, it doesn't take us too long in this space to realize we are, we're a mixed bag of desires. We lose steam. We either respond out of guilt, knowing that we should love this person, even if we don't feel like it, or we jettison any responsibility. It's so easy to respond out of either obligation or denial. This was my experience with evangelism in college. Either I did it begrudgingly, forcing myself to joylessly comply, or I said forget it, and I kept the gospel to myself. And I would argue neither of those flows adequately from the gospel. Just like that inward path, I need a change of heart. I need not just behavioral modification. So phase two on that outward cycle says dying to self and stepping out in faith. But to keep it parallel with what we talked about last week, I, I want to say that in that phase, we repent of our, my heart motivations that hinder my love for my neighbor. In a moment, I, we're going to look at a case study, um, and we'll look at that phase a little bit more fully. But a lot of these heart motivations that might keep us from loving our neighbors adequately might parallel some of those heart idols of personal sins that we talked about last week. There's not a one-size-fits-all model here, here, but this is us turning to God, recognizing our need for transformation, and asking Him to get that work moving in us because we sure as heck can't do it ourselves. As we begin to see our desires for our neighbors change, we rejoice at the opportunities presented to us and double back down into God's lavish grace. All right, let's try to take this abstract concept and make it more concrete. Right. As we consider what it means to love our neighbor, which I would say is the beginning of this concept of mission. I want you to imagine, each of you in this room, I want you to imagine one of your literal neighbors. Think of someone who you, you don't know very well. It works even better if you bring to mind someone that you don't think you have anything in common with. So think of someone. Maybe someone who lives across the street, next door. Next door. I guess it could be someone who is a coworker who is the cubicle next to yours whatever it might be have someone bring someone to the forefront of your mind now imagine that this week god has tasked you with finding an avenue to showcase his love for them right god wants you to be his pr agent to this person on your block or in your office Now hopefully that doesn't sound like too much of a stretch because I feel like that's what Jesus' M.O. was for us in our daily lives. That's what he wanted us to do. So take a moment. God wants you to showcase his love to that person. How would you do it? What would that look like? Now I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that many of you, when thinking like, Almost, I'm I'm not advocating for cold contact evangelism, but it might feel like that a little bit. You might be like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, it sounds scary. The idea of going and forming a relationship with a stranger out of the blue can feel like death. Unless you're one of those uh, oddballs who resonates with the expression that strangers are just friends waiting to happen. I don't know if that might be any of you. I don't mean to call you an oddball. Right, that quote. Um, I, I was I was googling because I was like, where did that quote come from? And uh, the internet says it comes from Napoleon. I have no idea if that's true or not, but we all know that he was like a special type of person. M- my point is this: given, if if we were given a direct task from God to utilize an opportunity to love our neighbor, which I again, that's purely hypothetical, but I, I hopefully it's a little bit more concrete than that. Like I think that is what God's call for our lives is. The truth is, if we, if we feel that call, many of us aren't going to relish that task with a lot of joy. It's going to be uncomfortable, especially if we don't know that person very well, or we have nothing in common with. Like, how do we even begin to, to launch into that conversation? This is the moment where you're like, big gulp, eh? No one? Dumb and dumber, sorry. Quote. Cool. Right? We feel awkward. I'm awkward. I don't know how to, I, I like can't small talk with people. So, so, so where do you go with that? How do you live out this call of God when you're just like, I don't want to do that at all? So when we have this opportunity, we approach a crossroad. Either we focus, we, excuse me, either we force ourselves to interact with that individual, even though we don't want to, the path of legalism, God said we have to, so we white-knuckle go rap on that door and say, hey, how you doing? I'm your neighbor. This is awkward for both of us right now. But there's no joy left in it. And we're left with the question, does God want our service to Him to feel like drudgery? Or we choose the path of license. We ignore that little tug of the Holy Spirit. We ignore the, whole, the, we ignore the person God doesn't, that's fine, I don't need to go talk to them, someone else will. Nope, that wasn't the Holy Spirit tugging on me, it was that like three-day-old hot dog that I ate, so I'm just going to kind of like explain it away in that way. Now I would argue license is the easier of the two. We take the good news that we have experienced and we hoard it. We keep it to ourselves in these protective safety zones of our home. There's one of my favorite quotes on evangelism is evangelism is one beggar. Some of you have heard me say this before. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. If you actually see yourself as a beggar who is in desperately in need of bread and you know that that source of bread is unlimited, you're going you're to tell everyone that you know is hungry, hey, here's this place where you can get some bread. You can be fed. Your soul can be fed. But too often, we sit back and say, all right, I'm full. I don't have to, eh, someone else will share that with them. So hopefully we have experienced, as we're thinking through this, this mental exercise for each of us. We've seen an opportunity, but many of us don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Why not? What are those heart motivations that we need to repent of? The gospel ought to be the fuel for our mission. But what is it that stops us from following that call? When we identify those sources, we can repent of them. This is what we talked about the last two weeks. We can repent of them and invite God's grace to renew our hearts. So think again of that neighbor that came to mind. Maybe you know their name. Maybe you don't know anything about them. Maybe you've never even seen them before, but you know that that house they live in is occupied. So think for a moment In this case study, what stops you from reaching out in faith joyfully to show God's love for them? Why don't you do it? Here's some suggestions just to get you started. See if any of them fit. Maybe you just lack love. You're like the Grinch, you know, you got your heart is two sizes too small. And you have trouble extending God's love to others largely because you struggle to feel any kind of love yourself could be a question of reputation. The neighbor that came to mind was the social outcast of the block. Maybe they're the neighbor that smells a bit of alcohol when they walk past or their front porch looks like it comes from the set of hoarders. Right? You don't want to spoil your reputation in the neighborhood by being associated with them, whoever the them is. What would people think if you started to befriend them? I actually have a neighbor that I've formed a relationship with that another neighbor who I'm friends with said, you better watch yourself around them. They're not trustworthy. Well, if I'm not going to love this individual, who is? Or perhaps you're concerned about what people will think if you start talking about Jesus, right? You don't want to be that like Jesus freak person in the neighborhood. Maybe your concern is image. This is me for, for more of it, right? You care what people think and you don't know where to start a conversation, You're nervous that you don't want to put your foot in your mouth. You don't want to look stupid, right? You know what they say, you can't make a second, first impression. Or your pride gets in the way. You say, I do enough for this community as it is. God can't expect me to serve one more person or family. I'm already doing enough. Gosh, and we're in the midst of this pandemic. Maybe what halts us in our path is actually selfishness. We're overly protected by Of our time and we can't be bothered by someone else. We all know how fickle the human heart is. Just as an aside I've been slowly making my way through the Netflix series Squid Game. Don't take that as a recommendation or a commendation to watch it. It is a brutal show in so many ways. But there's this one episode where there's this scene there's these two contestants that join together and they celebrate with what I might imagine um, I think it's a Korean word, but it basically is loosely translated as best friends. They have each other's back, celebrating how they're going to care for one another in this. And then literally minutes later in the episode, one of those players is taking advantage of the mental lapses of the other in order to cheat them and win the game. The sudden switch in character when I watched it was just like giving me whiplash. It was so shocking to me, although it shouldn't have been surprising, but shocking to me how we can go from, I love you, you are my best friend, to, I'm going to do anything that I, you know, I can do, I'm going to do anything I can to win at all costs. My point is, whatever our underlying heart motivations are, we need to sense that God has called us to something more. But not only that, we are not left to our own devices to make this work. God stands, as we saw in that cross chart, God stands in the gap for us. Each one of us in this room at some point in time was a stranger to God. We were alienated from God. We were in desperate need of His love, but we didn't have any idea where to find it. We were that lost neighbor. But enter Jesus. I love the incarnation of Jesus because it talks so much about how privilege ought to be used. Because Jesus could have stayed on his lofty place in heaven and just kind of tossed lobbed blessings at us saying, hey guys, guess what? From afar, I love you. But you know what? I'm not going to like I'm not going to, you know, hinder myself by getting too close. That's not what Jesus did. Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself being formed in the likeness of mankind, of humanity. He didn't just stay from afar, but moved towards us and entered into human history, being born of a virgin, living a sinless life, and suffering and dying on a cross. Jesus moved towards each one of us when we had nothing to offer him. This is the heart of Romans 5, 8, a passage that you probably hear me every other week cite because God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus closed the gap that we are so hesitant to accomplish ourselves. When I see that modeled for me, I desire to invite God's Holy Spirit in my heart to help me love the same way. That's what I want for my life, to model Jesus. And when we can reveal these tendencies that prevent us from living that out, living out God's mission to the world, we can turn to Jesus for forgiveness and healing. right? This is one of these things that hopefully you're not feeling too beat up today, but if you're feeling beat up, remember there is no condemnation in those of you who are in Jesus Christ. So the goal of this is not for us to wallow in self-pity and guilt and say, well, I guess i got to love my neighbor. That's just us moving out of obligation again. But I'm trying to paint for us a picture of something more where we can experience joy, the joy for God that we want to just tell the whole world about. And that when we fail, God loves us. He doesn't love us any less, but he forgives us. And when we invite him to, into our hearts, he can work that transformation. He can heal our hearts so that we respond out of love and not of abli- out of guilt or obligation for our neighbor. And so what follows on that chart is rejoicing. We see the transforming work of God in us, and we experience more and more joy instead of drudgery when we follow God's call to love our neighbor's. And that's the goal in this process, is to see mission as a joy and not a burden. I really, I really appreciate the work of C.S. Lewis in this area. Um, in his book, Mere Christianity, he argued that even when you feel indifference to someone, something that we all probably have experienced from time to time, Lewis says your heart can change over time by, by participating in God's call to love your neighbor. Lewis says this, it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, Lewis says, though natural liking should normally be encouraged, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become charitable, the way to become loving, is to sit and manufacture affectionate feelings. Right? He's saying that we, we should ought to just desire loving people, but if we don't, the way to solve that is not by just like sitting at home thinking, what would it look like for me to love people? He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. Whether we do good to another self, just because it is a self made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desired ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least to dislike it less. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not have imagined himself liking at the beginning. Sorry, that was a long one. Lewis says that the trick to start loving your neighbor, or excuse me, the trick to love your neighbor, is to start loving them now. Don't get worked up in your thoughts about whether or not you love them, don't overly strategize of what shape that'll take. Instead, repent of your lack of love and start treating them like you did. Start treating them like you love them. I think this is Lewis's way of saying, fake it till you make it, basically. Because God will use those attempts at faithfulness and he's gonna chip away at that calloused heart. Now as with anything in the Christian life, there is not a formula. There is no surefire way to see progress in this area of life. But i trust in the faithfulness of god that when we open ourselves up to him he works on us he changes us piece by piece we are shaped and molded more and more into that image and form of jesus christ god loves this world and he's entrusted us to be his ambassadors to be his vessels his representatives to communicate his love now i often imagine maybe you've thought this too that if i were in god's shoes i would have done that differently found a more reliable source of PR than a broken and fickle humanity. But God knows what He's doing. And He's given us the tools necessary to spread His fame and glory to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus reminds us, He's with us every step of the way to the very end. So friends, I want to encourage you as we are transformed by the gospel, as we see our heart for God increase, may it also increase for our neighbor. May the light of Christ that has brought healing to our lives also be turned outward to those around us, our neighbors, our school districts, our places of work, so that all of those people, places, and cultures can experience restoration in God's grace. Join me in prayer. Lord, mission is one of those elements of the Christian life that is difficult for many of us. We read passages like Ephesians 4 that lists these these offices and we see the gift of evangelism and we think, I don't have that gift, I'm off the hook. But God, you have put in each one of us a responsibility to love those around us, to point to you in our daily lives. As Eugene Peterson said in the message, to be salt and light that brings out the God flavors and the God colors of the world so that all might see you. Lord, we turn away from the selfishness, the reputation, whatever it is that we feel that hinders us from going up to that person that you put on our heart. We turn away from that. And we invite you, we ask you, we beg you to come and send your Holy Spirit to give us that measure of motivation that we need to get out of our comfort zones and love others. To love others with the same love that you have shown us as you close the gap from heaven to earth to showcase your love, Jesus. Thank you for your love. May we see it more and more in our lives and the lives of others. Amen.